Afternoon, Rob Port, 970 WDOI AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. Hope you all had a wonderful holiday weekend. Until did you have a good one? Yeah, it was lovely. I learned to make Nephla soup this weekend. It was great. So how do you make Nephla soup? Uh, it's a lot of dumpling cutting. Oh, yeah. More, more than anything. You make like a billion tiny little dumplings. And then it's a lot of... No, I guess butter and cream and it's not complicated. It's just time That's consuming. Weird. Time consuming. Yeah. It's not hard. It just takes a while. It was all but the dumplings. Any, anything worth doing, though, takes some investment in time, right? Mm, yes. You want good Nephla soup, you got to invest a little time in it. Because then you end up with Nephla soup that not only has delightful homemade dumplings in it, but we also use bacon. Plus, when you make it yourself, it just, you can't quantify it, but it just tastes better. It's very satisfying. And it's better than any good, other Nephla soup I've ever had in my life. We had a uh, we had a good um, we had a good Easter weekend. I kind of went all out for uh, Easter dinner. I made um, I made filet mignon, bacon wrapped filet mignon. Pretty happy wow. with myself. Wow! Pan pan seared, then baked in the oven. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. I've been, I've been trying. You know what I've been doing? I've been trying to become a better chef. I've been trying to become a better cook. And the way I'm doing it is I actually signed up for one of those um, subscription uh, box services where they send you meals in the box. You know, uh, Blue Apron is the one that I use. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been great. I, I really like it. Uh, and and I'm, I'm learning how to, uh, how to try, you know. First of all, I'm trying things that I probably would never buy when I go to the grocery store. And second of all, it's kind of teaching me how to how to cook those things, so that even even when I'm trying to cook other things, I've got some experience with it. You know, in a situation where you know they've already measured out all the ingredients and everything, all I've really got to do is just prepare them. Um, I don't know. Works good. I'm having fun doing it. Never thought I'd have fun cooking, by the way, um, but I am. I'm enjoying it. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine email talk at wday.com. Over the weekend, uh, Jack Zaleski teed off on Republican uh, Secretary of State candidate Will Gardner. Uh, he is challenging Al Jagger for the NDGOP's nomination. Um, Zaleski called it a stupid, insulting stunt. So, given that accusation i thought we better have mr gardner on the program to uh to respond to it so he's going to be on at one o'clock we'll talk with him about that uh also coming up at 1 30 we'll do the rundown um all right let's talk about this you know last week senator heidi heitkamp we had a big thing i feel like i'm in a little bit of a feud with the senator now natil um this is never gonna end is it well I mean, I was, I was done. I wrote my column on Sunday about it because I wrote something about the blog. We talked about it on the radio. I thought I'd write a column about it, just kind of put a capstone on it. Um, you know, and then we could move on. It's, it's just been an interesting thing with the senator, like, like the, the senator's avoiding her critics. I mean, that's at the heart of it. There's a lot of other spin. I, you know, I, I think Heidi supporters are trying to muddy the waters. Oh, Port's obsessed with her. Ports, whatever, blah, 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 and making it about me. But it's not about me. It's about the senator avoiding her critics. And when Rick Berg did that in 2012, when he was campaigning against Heidi Heitkamp, the left, the left let him have it for it, right? 
Joel Heitkamp demanded that the senator's brother demanded that Rick Berg come on his program. Berg wouldn't do it. Uh, and Berg got pilloried for it. And that's probably one of the things that may have cost him the election. Well, you know what? Turnabout's fair play. I thought Rick Berg should have faced his critic. I think our public officials here in North Dakota should have to face their critics. I mean, we're, it's one of the advantages of living in a small state is we can expect these people to engage in, in ways that, that might not just be logistically possible in other more populated states. So I think the senator should come on my program. And uh, I think what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If they could play that game in 2012, we could do it in 2018. And again, I thought Rick Berg should have got on the Senator's Brothers radio show. And I think the senator ought to come on my radio show. And she doesn't want to, and she avoids me, and she avoids other uh, conservative commentators in the region. Chris Berg at Valley News Live, Scott Hennon, another talk radio host here in this market and across the state. Uh, she avoids us. And that's too bad, because she shouldn't. So she's doing that. What I thought was interesting, there was this letter to the editor this morning now. And all weekend, I kind of got it on social media, um, you know, from the Heidi lovers. Uh, but this was, this one kind of caught my eye. A letter is, uh, Port's sexism needs to stop. Uh, the letter writer, uh, who is, uh, let's see, well, the way I printed it out here, it's obscuring her name now. I can't read her name. Anyway, I'm sure you can find it. It's on Fargo Forum. Um, a letter writer says, Senator Heitkamp is a strong woman who represents the values and beliefs of North Dakotans hold dear. I support Heidi. But that's not why I'm writing this letter. I am writing because, as a young woman, I've been really disturbed by Rob Port's onslaught of mean-spirited columns. It seems like there's a new one every single day. How many hours does he spend thinking about Heidi? He describes himself as a lowly political writer, but the language he uses to describe Heidi and even her staff reeks of sexism. Port uses words like nasty, vicious, and ugly. Seriously? Can he not come up with a more civil and less sexist way to discuss the political disagreements he has? Port's creepy obsession with Heidi is everything that's wrong with politics today, and it's why so many women get discouraged from putting their name out there. Now, Nadil, do you think that, that if Senator Heitkamp was a man, anybody would be describing my criticism of her as creepy? No, I don't think so. Because, listen, I, I heard the same thing when I when Doug Burgum was running for governor in 2016, and I was very critical of this campaign. There were a lot of things I didn't like about it. I heard the same thing. as Oh, he's obsessed. He's obsessed with Doug Burgum, right? Over the years when I've been critical of higher education, I've heard, oh, he's obsessed with higher education. It's just a place people who don't want to engage with your actual the actual points that you're making and make a, make a, a logical or, or coherent rebuttal to the arguments you're making, they'll just go and, and they'll they'll try to dismiss your arguments out of hand by suggesting that the problem is you, not the thing you're criticizing. It's it's not unusual. I see it a lot. It's not a big deal. What I think though is interesting is this idea that it's somehow creepy or sexist of me to be critical of Heidi Heitkamp. Now she lists a bunch of words that I use, and again, reading this from a letter to the end of the Fargo Forum, she lists a bunch of words I use: nasty, vicious, ugly. Um, I'm talking about the campaign, right? I, I think I'm basically saying that, you know, the 2018 Senate campaign is going to be nasty. It's going to be vicious. It's going to be ugly. I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. I have a feeling Republicans are going to be every bit as vicious and nasty and ugly 
in response to Senator Heitkamp, and Senator Heitkamp is to them. It's going to be an ugly race. There's a ton of money. There's a lot on the line, potentially a majority in the United States Senate. Of course it's going to get nasty. Of course it's going to be vicious. Of course it's going to be ugly. That's how these things are. I don't understand how those terms are vicious. Or, excuse me, sexist. You know, and, and this idea that, you know, my, my criticism of Senator Heitkamp is why so many young women get discouraged from putting their names out there for public office. This is politics. I, I mean, are, are we supposed to pull punches because they're girls? I mean, you want to talk about sexism, sexism, Nathiel? I think that's sexist. The idea that, that girls should, oh, don't be mean to the girls. That's what I'm, when I'm reading this letter, that's what I'm hearing. Oh, Port, don't be mean to the the girls, Port. Don't be mean. Heidi Heitkamp's a girl, so you can't be mean to her. I mean, that that's what I'm hearing when I'm reading this letter. And it's not an uncommon opinion. Judging from my social media, judging from my email inbox, it's not uncommon for people to feel this way. That, oh, well, Senator Heitkamp's a, a girl, and so we have to treat her differently. I'm not going to treat her any differently than I treat anybody else that I criticize sexist i am i being sexist love to hear 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com caller john you're on what's up rob keep doing what you do best i'll tell you what you know it's just like the whole gun control debate anytime you call the other side out for what their you know their their their, their wild accusations and you try and uh, counter them with any fact they run scared they run into a corner and then they just Lob a bunch of words at you like, oh, you're being sexist or you care more about children. Yeah, well, that's. The guns that's, that you care about children because when they, I don't, read this they article, don't have any other ammunition. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. This letter to the editor that I'm reading for, uh, for from a young woman in uh, Fargo, uh, and it's printed in the Fargo Forum. Uh, I mean, it, it basically, it's doing exactly what you're talking about, John. It's it's obfuscating. It's, it's making two points. A, that I'm obsessed with Senator Heitkamp. And B, that I'm being sexist and criticizing her. Nowhere does it rebut any of my criticism of Senator Heitkamp. You know, and I've been critical of her on a number of fronts. Heck, not you've been critical of Kevin Kramer on, on a couple of occasions, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, not as, and, and I will admit, reality is I, reality. When they're, when they're doing something that we disagree with, that's what we're supposed to do is call them out, are we not? Right. And, and listen, I am not as critical of Kevin Kramer as I am of Heidi Heitkamp. That's because I'm a conservative. He's a conservative. We agree on more stuff than I agree with on Heidi Heitkamp. Now, I am never going to, I am never going to craft, I will disagree with Kevin Kramer when I disagree with him. I thought when he went after, he wrote a letter to the FCC, uh, being critical of, uh, of, of media bias, uh, from the, uh, or no, he, he wrote a letter to, to, excuse me, he wrote a letter to the broadcast stations, ABC, NBC, CBS, those stations. Uh, he wrote a letter, you know, basically asking them to account for their their media bias because they're FCC regulated stations. I thought that was a stupid thing to do. I don't think Kramer could have done that. I wrote several things about it, criticizing him. I criticized him on air, too. Now, I will criticize Kevin Kramer when I think he deserves it. It's just because he's a conservative. I'm probably going to think he deserves it less often than Heidi Heitkamp because I agree with him more. But that's, well, I mean, that's and, not and, my and I'll give you that, you know, but again, the reality of, re- you know, the, the situation is – if you sign yourself up for this life of politics, if you can't take the damn heat, get out of the kitchen. Because, because to me, if you can't respond to your constituents, and, and, and at least if you're going to stand by your statement, at least have something to back up while you're standing behind it. Otherwise, you know, to me, it's worthless. 
Yeah, thanks for the call, John. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. I guess I'll ask the audience. Do you think I'm being sexist to Heidi Heitkamp? When I'm critical of Senator Heitkamp, am I being a, a big, fat sexist? Are people like me... Why more women don't get involved in politics? Love to hear from you. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. You know what I really enjoyed it too? I, I like being told that I'm obsessed about Heidi Heitkamp by people who I see on social media or posting about Trump with every other every other tweet or every other Facebook post or whatever. Just uh, Trump this, Trump that, Trump, Trump, Trump. Uh, but I criticize Heidi Heitkamp a couple times a week and suddenly uh, I'm obsessed. I don't know if it's suddenly. I think people have been calling you obsessed with Heidi Heitkamp for quite a while, but it wow. is it is a bit hypocritical. Well, listen, I, that's, uh, you know, yeah, I write about her a lot. She's an important politi- political figure in our state, but I She know. absolutely is, and we don't, unlike other states that have many, many House of Representative members, we only have one. So we have three representatives on a national front for North Dakota. Yeah. So it makes sense that each of those three are getting a lot of attention by the people in our state who are dedicated yeah. to talking about politics. It's well, not like have, being I mean, a polit- it's not like being a political commentator from California and you know ignoring half of your representatives or something. Yeah, but we do issues on this show. We we talk about, you know, I don't, I don't even want to countenance that. All that is about is distracting from the fact that that they don't they don't want to have a rebuttal for me. And I'm not saying that there is no rebuttal, and I'm not saying that I'm just 100% right about everything. I'm just saying that it's it's a it's a real quick and dirty way to muddy the waters. Just I'm a, I must be motivated by sexism, uh, and I, I must just be obsessed with her. And, and I, I think, listen, this idea that, you know, women can't get into politics because people like me will – well, what is that saying about women? I feel like that. I mean, you want to talk about something that's sexist. And again, talking about this this letter writer um, says that I need to, to stop. My sexism needs to stop. Uh, letter to the editor of the Fargo Forum. Um, she writes, Port's creepy obsession with Heidi is everything that's wrong with politics today. And it's why so many women get discouraged from putting their name out there. Well, I, I mean, unless we're going to make politics something other than what it is, and it's pretty nasty for the men involved, too. It is what it is. Now, I, I'm not attacking Senator Heitkamp personally. I'm not talking about the way she looks or the way she smells or anything like that. It's not, it's not personal attacks. I'm being critical of her policies. I am talking about the politics in her campaign. That's in game. And if I'm sorry, if you want to be in the arena, you got to be ready for that, Natil. And if, if anything is sexist, I think it's this, this idea that, that women got to be treated differently. I'm not going to treat women differently. I'm going to talk about them the same way I talk about men. Uh, let's see. Have a uh, Facebook message. Bradley says, uh, even though I'm more liberal, I still enjoy reading and learning things from both perspectives. I always enjoy your show and column, whether I agree or not. Politics can be over the top now and again, 
Keep on keeping on, my friend. Keep keeping on, my friend. I, for one, agree with you on this one. Uh, and for the record, your show can't be doing too bad if you have liberals as well as conservatives. Yeah, I mean, that's what I strive for. Is to just try to create a situation where, you know, it, it's an illuminating discussion no matter where you are politically. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Caller, Jess, you're on. What's up? Hey, Rob. Um, I listen to you when I can, but and I don't normally call in, but this is something that kind of hits home to me. Um, I'm a 30-year-old female working in men's line of work. Um, I'm in, I was in automotive. And now I'm in um, heavy agriculture equipment. Jess, can I can I just interject there for a minute? I don't like calling anything a man's line of work. There, there's nothing okay. that's just a man's. You're right. Line you're right. A uh, typical view, typically viewed. Maybe maybe maybe, maybe historic that... historically male dominated line of work. Maybe okay. that's fair. Anyhow, knowing what I was getting into, I, you know, I took it as I knew what was going on. I cannot be expected to be treated differently. I am treated, and I feel I should be treated just like anybody else in that line of work. And that's how I feel everybody should go into politics, whatever. You know what it's all about. You go into it expecting to be treated just as anybody else. That's your own prerogative. Yeah, I I think you're exactly right. Now, now if I was... was, doing something for as, as far as criticizing Senator Heitkamp in a way that I wouldn't criticize men. Like maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm doing commentary about her makeup or the way her hair's done or her fashion choices or whatever, um, then then maybe I'm willing to accept that I'm being sexist because I wouldn't necessarily be critical of those things with men. Maybe that's fair. And I, I do see where people do that with women. They're, they're, they're more willing to comment on the appearance of a woman than a man. I've seen other commentators do that. I don't like it. I think that's unfair. I've seen liberal commentators do it uh, with 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 female conservatives, people like Michelle Bachman, Sarah Palin. Uh, I've seen male conservatives do it uh, with with liberal politicians. So it's that uh, liberal female. So that's that's fair. But I I don't feel like I'm doing that. I feel like what I'm yeah. being critical of is, for instance, her vote on tax reform. And we're going to talk about mm-hmm. it here in a minute. But there's just a report out from the Tax Policy Center where North Dakotans are going to lead the nation or are leading the nation in terms of the benefit they got from tax reform. Now, Senator Heitkamp voted against the tax reform bill. She said it was only going to help millionaires and billionaires. It wasn't going to help the average North Dakotan. And yet, according to this analysis, which is from an organization backed by the Brookings Institute and the, the Urban Institute, um, the average North Dakotan is going to see about a $2,000 tax reduction as a report of the you know, result of the tax reform bill. Now, I'm going to be critical of Senator Heitkamp for that. And I don't feel like that's sexism. I feel like she's an elected no. official. She cast a vote, and I'm being critical of it. It could it could be High Camp, or it, you know, it could be her brother that was in her position. He would be doing the same exact thing. Yeah. So. Um, so well, thanks no, for the call, Jess. As, you know, like you said, as long as it's not necessarily about uh, physical appearances, but what they are yeah. uh, accomplishing within their position is. Well, is, I'll, is I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, I don't know. The way they they, sm- they slap a high-resolution photo of me on top of all my columns online, I'm in no position to be criticizing anybody on how they look. I realize how I look. I don't I don't know why we're doing that. That, that My big, ugly mug cannot be helping move copy. Jess? <laughs> I can say that about myself, though. Yeah, Jess, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. I actually had that talk with my daughters the other day, Natil. This idea of talking about, you know, male 
male dom or male uh, working in a man's world or whatever. It's not a man's world. There may be some professions that, for whatever reason, are dominated by men. But you know what? Ladies can do anything. <laughs> well, that, it, that's a that's a good thing to to tell your daughters. But it, you know, yeah. you can't also pretend that some areas of business are still well, not male dominated areas. I you're work still going to have to you're still going to have to step up. Yeah. It's unlikely that a girl's going to play in the NFL anytime soon. Well, no, just... but that's why there's the that's why there's the WNBA. Right. Well, we're talking about the NFL. There's no WNFL, is there? No, you said NBA oh. though. No, I thought I said NFL. You did not. All right, that's fake news. <laughs> we're going to check the podcast. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. You are the king. There's a real cool club on the other side of town where the real cool kids got to sit around and talk bad about the other kids. Yeah, it's a real cool club, and you're not part of it. Welcome back, Rob Four Nine Seventy WDY AM ninety three point one FM seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wdy.com. Talk about this letter of the editor saying that uh, Port's sexism needs to stop, and I don't. I, am I am I sexist, Natil? I don't think so. We got to go to the we got to go to the programs. Resident liberal for an objective point of view. Oh, um, and here I thought you were going to say we're going to go to the the program's resident woman. Yeah, well, that too, you know. But there's just two of us, so I don't feel like your your gender statistically significant. I don't know. Um, it's a small but, sample but, size. but my politics are. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, no, I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I, again, I, I feel like if I was teeing off on Hike Camp's hairdo or something, okay, you know, maybe that's sexist because I'm obviously not very critical, but. I'm not like, and I don't like the suggestion that you know. I kind of feel like this letter writer. This uh, her name's Liv Oland. Uh, I kind of feel like this 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 letter writer is just sort of like, well, Heidi's a girl. Don't be mean to girls. Well, tough. You know, I don't even think Senator Heitkamp would agree with that. Honestly, I, I think if we sat down, I think that's something Senator Heitkamp and I could probably agree on, is that it's just fine to be critical of her. She probably doesn't agree with any of my criticism of her, but fine. Uh, let's see. Caller. Dean, you're on. What's up? Hey, hi. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's a good thing. That the, uh, that the, I'm glad that terms like man's work and women's work are kind of going by the wayside. You know, it's great to see, like, women doing these things that people thought only men could do. And just like I know a lot of guys who are into, like, nursing and counseling and, and uh, therapy and teachers and stuff like that. And sometimes they get a lot of flack and stuff still for doing that, too, on the flip side. And Okay, so yeah. I was just glad to see these barriers being broken down at any rate, and hopefully things will get even better as time comes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, Dean. Thanks for the call. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDY.com. I had a friend who uh, who was a nurse, worked as a nurse, started as a CNA, uh, went and got some schooling, got got his degree, and uh, I I want to say he's an LPN. I get confused with all the acronyms sometimes. I think he's an LPN now. Is that that could be it, or maybe uh, an RN? I, yeah, because then that would make him a, a an L, an LPN would be a licensed practitioner. Regardless, nurse. regardless, he's he's a nurse. He works as a nurse, and he gets made fun of for it all the time. That strikes uh, because, me as so odd. I one of my best friends is a male nurse, and he's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I'm not being critical. I think it's great. That's an important job. It's a good job. Um, 
You know, I, I don't know why we'd want to be, but I, yeah, I don't like this idea. And I understand some professions are, for, for whatever reason, dominated by men or dominated by women. I mean, that's just sort of, and I think a lot of that has to do with just how genders choose. I, th- I think men and women a lot of times just tend to make decisions when it comes to their education and their careers and have interests that, that you know, naturally gravitate them towards certain fields. Doesn't mean that women couldn't do the jobs men could do, or vice versa. It just means that's how we've organized ourselves. Um, and some of it is is due to, to historical discrimination, unfortunately. But I, I feel like we're getting better at that. And I just my point, and, and the reason I brought it up is when when we had a caller last segment, uh, and Jess uh, called in, and she said, you know, she she was uh, she's working in a man's career field or whatever. I just don't want to talk about it that way. Does that make sense, Natil? I feel like when we talk when we talk about things that way, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. That that makes sense to me, but at the same time, you know, as as a, a woman who sort of grew up enjoying more male dominated activities like video games and that type of thing, it it's annoying in some ways to have that taken taken away. In some respects, because that's like ignoring the fact that it's that yeah, I, that I it mean, is the way it is. It I is mean, the way it is. You're right. Radio yeah. radio is a male dominated industry. That's there true. are not very many women that work in radio, and yet here I am. But pretending yeah. that it's not a male dominated industry sure. isn't gonna isn't gonna make women join it anymore. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. I understand that. Um, yeah, I, I had a great, you know, talking about, like, like comic books and that sort of ner- nerd culture, you know, ag- again, historically sort of a sort of a very male area. Um, my daughter, when she was nine, was starting to get really interested in that. Now, comic books were never anything that I was all that interested in. Um, I was mostly novels and video games. But my daughter, for whatever reason, was really interested in comics. So I took her to a comic book store. And until it was the coolest thing you'd ever seen, there was a bunch of dudes in there. They were playing Dungeons and Dragons or something, uh, and they, I basically just, you know, one of them, one of them who worked at the store, stood up and asked if if he could help us. And I said that my daughter was interested. She was interested in comic books, but wasn't sure what books or whatever might be right for her. And we were looking for some recommendations. The next thing you know, she's being escorted around the, the store by four very nice men uh, who were helping her pick out comic books. It was great. It was wonderful. That's, That's awesome. The, way the world. That's the way the world ought to work. Uh, all right, let's talk about this tax cut thing. Where did I put this story? I got the story here somewhere. I can't even. I bring I up the Jeopardy thing, the Jeopardy right. theme. Do, 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 there it is. All right, uh, this is from CNN Money. CNN Money reports that it's based on a tax policy center analysis. Uh, the tax policy center, full disclosure, uh, they're a group. Um, backed by the Urban Institute and the Brookings Institution, which, by the way, Natil, are two, I would describe them as, as left-of-center groups. You know, I, I think they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. I mean, they're, they're pretty reliable, but generally probably left-of-center in their politics. Um, according to their analysis, it, quotes indicates the average tax cut in each state as, as measured across all filers in that state, those getting a tax cut, those facing a tax increase, and those who will see no change at all. Uh, now, where it comes in is is just about everybody. I, I think it's something like 75, 75% of, of American households will see a tax reduction as a result of the Trump tax cuts. Um, so that's pretty good to begin with. 
number one state in the nation in terms of average tax reduction, Nateel. Guess which state? North Dakota. The great state of North Dakota. That's correct. Uh, coming in second, South Dakota. Uh, coming in third, Alaska. So pretty good, pretty good situation to be in. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a good thing. I, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a, a positive thing. I think it's going to be uh, a tough thing for politically for North Dakota Democrats. Um, now here in North Dakota, we're seeing uh, tax filers will see an average ten point eight percent or two thousand one hundred and seventy dollar cut. Um, again, I, I think that's a that's a positive thing. For our state, I think that's an objectively good thing, but it's going to be tough for people like Heidi Heitkamp, who uh, voted against the bill. Now, for some context, uh, Minnesota is going to see an average tax drop in tax burden of 7.2%. That's $1,140. South Dakota, average uh, $1,690 tax cut, good for 10.5%. Montana, $1,180, 8.4% reduction. So that's that's just kind of the situation in our region. Um, but I, again, I, I think this is going to be very, very tough for the Democrats, you know, especially the, the North Dakota Democratic Party in particular. But before even a lot of their candidates got in the game, the North Dakota Democratic Party on their social media was sort of demagoguing this issue. I mean, really just sort of stomping all over it, um, you know, portraying the tax cuts as being terrible. And and really, uh, you know, I'm reading back through, you know, and cutting through a lot of the rhetoric coming from Senator Heitkamp in particular, one thing that I noticed, probably the, the one salient criticism she could make of the tax bill is that the individual income tax cuts are temporary. You know, I think they're set to expire after, what was it, 2028, I think is the year. So that's the big thing, that, that's the big argument against the tax code is that the individual tax cuts are, are temporary. And I agree, but I mean, if that's your argument, then why didn't why, why did Democrats make that a condition to, to pass it? I mean, that was like one of the compromises that was made in the bill in order to get it passed. If, if that's the part you don't like, fine. Then let's vote to make them permanent. But outside of that, this seems like an objectively good thing to me. And I, I think it's going to be tough for Senator Heitkamp to, to say otherwise. I think it's going to be tough for North Dakota Democrats to say otherwise. I, I think I really think this is going to be a tough thing for them to campaign against, particularly here in North Dakota. Again, North Dakota, number one in the nation in tax reductions, thanks to the Trump tax cuts. And again, this is co- according to the Tax Policy Center. No other state in the nation is going to see more benefit from the tax cuts on an individual per tax filer level than North Dakota. That, to me, seems politically devastating for North Dakota Democrats. Now, obviously, the election is going to be a lot about a lot of different things. It's going to be, as most elections are, kind of complicated. But that news there, if I were Democrats, I would, I would feel very anxious about those sort of headlines. I would not feel good about those sort of headlines being out there. Let's take a break. We'll be right back after this. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away.
My guest next hour uh, is going to be Will Gardner. He's campaigning for Secretary of State uh, for the Republican nomination for Secretary of State. He's taking on uh, incumbent Al Jagger, who's been in office for a long, long time. Uh, Columnist Jack Zaleski calling Gardner's candidacy a stupid, insulting stunt. Um, and, and it, well, until it goes downhill from there. Um, although I, I gotta think I, Zaleski may actually be helping given his popularity among Republicans. He may actually be helping Gardner. Republicans may see this as a sort of endorsement. Oh, that's, that's, I like the cut of Gardner's jib. If Zaleski doesn't like him, I like the cut of his jib. It probably works the same way with me among Democrats too. You know, probably. Yeah. The last thing, if I like a Democratic candidate. The last thing I should do is to be out there praising that candidate, because that's the last thing they need is the Rob Port endorsement. Um, you know something else that's got to stop in our society, until is these boycotts. Ah. Boycott this, boycott that. Boycotting um, you because of your boycott of boycotts, Rob. Yeah. Um, the um, There's a letter to the editor today in the Fargo Forum. Uh, by Anastasia Andrianova. I'm, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correct. Um, a, a while ago, the Young Americans for Freedom at Moorhead's Concordia College tried to have on conservative columnist Ben Shapiro, or try to have him uh, to their, their campus to speak. Uh, the student government, which had previously approved the funds, uh, then turned around and reversed themselves because a bunch of faculty and students got upset about it. Uh, so now, on April 10th, the uh, the group has invited former U.S. Senator and presidential candidate Rick Santorum to speak. And this letter to the editor basically, you know, goes down and talks about how Shapiro was a jerk. And now uh, this uh, this is quoting from the letter: Santorum is widely known for his homophobic views and rants. Just this past week, Santorum got in trouble for suggesting that students should take CBR classes to deal with violent shooters at their schools. A ludicrous comment, which prompted David Hogg's now unforgettable facepalm. Santorum backpedaled later, claiming he had misspoken. Uh, but anyway, what, what bothers me is at the end of this letter, it says, I see no value in such a perspective. I invite conservative and liberal students alike to boycott this dangerous and incendiary display of prejudice. Now, I can understand people not liking things that Rick Santorum has to say. Rick Santorum says a lot of things I don't particularly like. I've never agreed with Rick Santorum's views on homosexuality and gay rights. I don't think, I don't like necessarily that he's been a spokesman for the Republican Party on those policy areas. But that being said, I, I, am, I am tired of this idea that there are certain types of speech that are too dangerous to be allowed in a deal. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, if you're going to stand up for the freedom of speech, you have to be willing to accept all speech. I just I think personally that some types of speech should be ignored. Yeah, well, see, but that's not what this person is saying. Well, I mean, it kind of is. She I, I, well, I, she I, I guess just a, saying, hey, don't go. Yeah. Uh, OK, fine. What I don't like is calling it dangerous and incendiary. 
Well, it's definitely incendiary. Incendiary, fair, but dangerous. I think sometimes I think some rhetoric can be dangerous. I mean, there's how that's the the way we describe rhetoric from uh, terrorist groups that are trying to convert people here on our home ground. That would be dangerous rhetoric. But here's the thing. I don't think that Rick Santorum's rhetoric is dangerous. I just think it's incendiary and wrong. Yeah, Yeah. I think he's wrong, too. I don't I don't I'm not a a Rick Santorum. I've interviewed the guy. Don't particularly like him that much. Um, That being said, I think you should be allowed to speak. And I I, I guess I, I, I think we have a tendency. And even I mean, I started off this hour talking about this other letter, the editor, about me, you know, calling me a sexist. I'm getting kind of tired of this. Or no, I'm not getting tired. I am extremely tired. I am wearied by it. This idea that there are certain types of speech that just can't, it can't be allowed or it's dangerous or, or we're just going to, we're going to label it a certain way so that therefore we could just ignore it. Uh, you know, listen, if, if you disagree with Rick Santorum, maybe it's still okay to show up and, and just listen to what he has to say. You don't have to agree, but maybe just listen to what he has to say. Or engage him in some way. Ask if there can be a debate portion of the presentation. Or stand outside in front of the the arena uh, and hold up signs and and tell people, hey, we disagree and this is why. Don't obstruct them. Don't harass them. But I, I just feel like there's so much more constructive ways. We do this all the time. We try to shut each other down, not by addressing the points that we're making, but just by by making the individual or the organization itself radioactive. And and in recent I think we've seen the left trying to do this to the NRA. You know, that's just, just as a recent example, trying to make their NRA radioactive so that the NRA can't, you know, be a, an effective political organization, right? Like, like somehow the NRA taking money that their members give them voluntarily and turning around and using that money to promote gun rights has now somehow become an act of evil. What my criticism of Senator Heitkamp, I mean, listen, this is, this is an active with, with, with the, the Senator, the, the Democrats here in North Dakota are trying to do with me is isolate me, right? Not, they're trying to make it so that nothing I say matters because it's coming from me and I'm me. And I'm I'm a person who shouldn't be paid attention to. I mean, that, this is what we're doing is we're labeling each other in ways that make it so that we can't speak anymore. And, and it's the last thing we need. I mean, until what we need in this country is more people talking to each other. That's what we need. I agree with that. Maybe somebody who doesn't agree. Well, I mean, because I imagine Rick Sotorum has more things to say than just his views on homosexual rights. Uh, maybe you could find some common ground with the guy. I don't know. How would you ever know if you don't show up and listen? And not to say that you always have to show up for this stuff. You don't. I, I just, I, I'm tired of, of I'm going to boycott this and I'm going to boycott that. And everybody's just going to retreat to their corners and nobody's going to talk to each other anymore. It's ridiculous. More to come straight ahead. Will Gardner, candidate for Secretary of State. He's on next. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Driving in a Pontiac Just about to lose 
mine. I was going to Arizona, maybe on to California. North Dakota Republicans confront stupid, insulting stunt. Hey, it's Report, Hour 2 of the Rob Report, right now, 970. WDAY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000 Email talk at WDAY.com Or you can tweet me at Rob Port This is from uh, Jack Zaleski's column uh, He writes the move to dump the secretary Referring to secret- uh, incumbent Secretary of State incumbent Al Jagger uh, The move to dump the secretary By Mandan businessman Will Gardner Is stupid and insulting Gardner, a former District 34 chairman, has rolled out misrepresentation that sound like boilerplate from the Democratic candidate, Fargo realtor and legislator Joshua Boucher. Gardner's campaign uh, could be the creation of a Democratic mouthpiece, not a Republican candidate. Zaleski continues, Gardner, who fancies himself a tech expert, has dismissed progress made by Jagger in employing the latest IT equipment for processing business-related documents. Lawmakers funded the upgrades unevenly over several biennia, but the system will be operational this summer. It takes time and a heap of public money to do it right. Uh, he, he continues, finally, Gardner's ages employ a noxious weed seed, if there ever was one. He talks about changing times and new energy, conveniently ignoring Jagger's history of readily adapting to change. New energy, I defy Gardner to keep up with Jagger, 74, who puts in long days, travels the state in pursuit of improving elections, and touts North Dakota stories at national forums. Gardner's campaign is offensive. It can't be the GOP's much ballyhooed big tent if there is no room for a reliable, honorable incumbent. Gardner's version is a small tent where public service, party loyalty, ballot success, and tempered experience don't count. Gardner, a callow 41-year-old, has a lot to learn about decency and decency and respect. So be kind, convention delegates, gently but firmly. Send him back to Mandan. For some soul searching. Well, I have on with me right now, Will Gardner. Um, Will, what? hey Rob, you doing okay, buddy? I, I... <laughs> I well, you know, as as a fellow snowflake, I'm I'm very hurt by those words, Rob. Yeah, snowflakes got to stick together. I guess how dare I uh, run for for uh, an open seat? I I don't. Uh, I, I honestly, Rob, I I don't really bother too much by getting an endorsement from from that uh, Fargo editorial board uh, for for uh, Jagger to get that endorsement. I'm yeah, I'm not at all ashamed of, of uh, not getting that. But there's a what? lot here in this letter. Uh, I don't know if you, how much we can time we got to pick through it, but you know it, the ageism thing bothers me a lot, Rob. Because when I get on the yeah, phone, yeah, let's I talk, talk about I talk that. To so many delegates about this, and. I have never once brought that up in my conversations, and so to hear that is just really frustrating. It's we all have parents, and we all have great friends that we work with, and that are, are all ages, and that's that's just frustrating to hear. And I, I'll, I'll say that I get the the question a lot when I'm at, when when people um, get my phone calls, but it's not anything I need to bring up. And besides, the important part is who can do the best job. But that's really what we have to answer in this. Uh, in this election, well, I, I mean, I, I have brought up the amount of time that Secretary Jagger has spent in office, and I think it's important. I mean, people, there is a lot of concern uh, among the electorate uh, about the amount of time that people spend in office. There's a lot of concern about 
you know, quote unquote, career politicians and everything else. Now, we all have different views on that. A lot of people support term limits. I'm personally not a fan of term limits, but I think it is fair to say, listen, so and so has been in office for a long, long time. Um, I, I don't think it's unfair to say, hey, how about a fresh face? How about a fresh perspective? How about some new blood? This, these are not uncommon things that people say about politics, and it really doesn't have anything to do with age per se, more just time in office. Jagger's been in office since 1992. He's been there for a long time. I don't think that's an unfair thing to point out. Do you? No, and when he came into office in 1992, the Internet, as we know it, didn't exist. And so a lot of the tools and a lot of the challenges, a lot of the opportunities that we have today are far different than when we – uh, elected him in, in first back in 1992, but lots has changed since then, and so we need a leader who understands that new changing time. Uh, last 20 years I spent in making businesses more efficient through technology, and so that's that's why I've been waiting. Uh, I think four years ago I was thinking of running, and I closely evaluated, and I thought, you know, maybe one more time, and, and we can get some of the work done that needs to get done, such as registering businesses online. Rob, I was doing that 20 years ago in Fargo. 20 years ago, I was helping businesses with their registrations and forms uh, submitting online, well, that's, and, I mean, and that's... we're still not there. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's any question. And when I had Secretary Jagger on the program, I think even he acknowledged there's been some difficulty with some of the IT projects in his office. Now, his rebuttal to that, and certainly the one we get from Mr. Zaleski in his column, who, by the way, I should correct you, he's not, Mr. Zaleski's not, he, he doesn't write the forum's editorials anymore. He's retired from the forum. He's still a columnist. Um, okay. But, but he's not. But anyway, he, you know, the rebuttal is, well, the legislature hasn't funded those things consistently, you know, the, it's, it, and kind of blaming the legislature. What do you make of that? Well, there's been seven, several million dollars in spending that has just gone to waste, IT projects that have started and stopped. And what, what the problem is in the office is they've had projects where they just have these big behemoth projects instead of breaking them down in smaller pieces where you have a big picture that you're considering, but you're you're taking small project by project. These projects go on for so long, and so it's by the time you get to the end of the project, your your project is already kind of out of date, and your specs continue to change. And so instead of just staying with one blueprint, you keep going back over and over and over again. And so someone who understands how that's, that process works can go to the legislature and advocate for the right system and be knowledgeable when they talk in the legislature saying, this is what we need, this is why we need it, and we can accomplish it with this, in this time frame. And if you can't, then you should, you know, you need to speak out and have your voice heard. You just can't accept a project that that uh, that you can't do, or you need to have the knowledge of understanding why you can't do it and articulate it. Um, there's plenty of blame to go around and on a lot of problems in offices, and but at the end of the day, the the responsibility is on the project manager, the one who's the project sponsor. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Now, what about his argument? I mean, he's saying that, that North Dakota's done very well on elections. We got top top grades on, on things like ballot accessibility. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, he's saying, you know, Jagger's been in office for a long time. And I, and I think that is a fair argument to make. You know, one of the reasons why Secretary Jagger has been in office for so long uh, is because North Dakotans keep voting for him. I mean, there, it, there's obviously something he's doing. I mean, they've had alternatives. He's had challengers. North Dakota mm. voters have, have overwhelmingly voted for Al Jagger. I mean, is that not, uh, you know, commend him to, to maybe another term in office? The, 
North Dakotans, Rob, want a conservative, want a Republican in that office. And that's crystal clear across the whole list of state officials and legislature. If you look at every every position, there is a really a great desire to have Republicans in office because that's the philosophy that people up, up in our uh, part of the world, thankfully, that's the way we believe. And so I, I believe more than the name itself, there's a, there's a huge amount of people voting that want to maintain that philosophy. And they don't want to get Democrats into offices that uh, could potentially someday advance to, say, governor or uh, represent us at the, at the national level. But you also talked about, uh, and I want to respond to this, uh, the, the um, question about the accessibility. Our elections are ranked number one by the Pew Research. That is absolutely true, and that's great. And that's why I like the fact that we do have a system where we don't have to register. I don't like the bureaucracy. But here's, here's the point. Those number one rankings by the Pew Research are only gauging accessibility. They're not talking at all about the integrity of our elections. Anyone can vote, and that's a great thing, but it's also the problem that we need to make sure that we're reining in, that not just anybody, uh, whether they're not a U.S. citizen or they're visiting uh, for, for a few weeks or they're coming across from Moorhead or Grace Grand Forks, we just can't open up our elections for just anyone to vote. It's great that we allow the people who are supposed to vote, and we make that as easy as we can, and that's what Pew Research is focused on. They're not focusing at all on integrity. And so that's what I want to bring to the office, bring some integrity to this process. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Tweet me, at Rob Port. Um, when I had Secretary Jagger on, I asked him about voter registration. Uh, he said we don't need it. Um, he made a point that essentially by uh, requiring us to, to register to vote, he, he said other states admire us. Other states look at us and say, you know, gosh, we wish – we didn't have voter registration either. What's what's your point of view? I mean, we're we're one out of fifty states that does not have voter registration. Do we need it? Uh, well, and and this is what I was just saying. You would, I would prefer that we keep the system as we have it. I I also don't like the bureaucracy, but here is where I differ a little. When it comes to getting our elections right, and if and if we have a problem in the next election, just like we did in this election uh, in 2016 with 16,000 people voting without an ID, if, if we continue to have that and that number continues to rise and we're having our elections being decided by people that we don't know where they are, where they're from, ghost voters or ghost ballots, because we don't know who they are, because many of them are unverified. So if it comes down between integrity and needing to implement a system that the other 49 states have implemented, then we have to we have to decide to, we have to make that change. And I'm willing, as Secretary of State, to consider voter registration. It's not my first decision. If we can keep the law just as it is and keep the the lawsuit that's pending right now, if we can uh, win that battle or convince them to remove their lawsuit, that would be the perfect scenario. And I really hope that we can either win or we can convince them otherwise, because. Even the Democrats will admit, I, I firmly believe that they do not want to have voter registration. Uh, so if, if this lawsuit takes effect, the legislature is going to be forced to just say, look, we're, we've got to do something here. We've got to uh, consider voter registration. As Secretary of State, I'll consider that. And that's, that differentiates me from, from uh, my opponent. What Now, obviously, this coming weekend, uh, you and Secretary Jagger are going to be facing off uh, at the NDGOP convention in Grand Forks for, for the vote 
uh, for, for the endorsement of the, the convention, of the party. Uh, two questions for you. First of all, if you don't win at the convention, will you go on to the June primary ballot? That's certainly an option for anybody who doesn't get the convention's endorsement. Uh, second of all, uh, what do you say to people who are saying, listen, in Josh Boshe, we have a strong challenger. Al Jagger's been winning uh, elections since uh, you and I were in elementary school, uh, Will, or, or maybe or in grade school yeah. anyway. Um you know what? What? What do we? Uh, you know why not? Why not run him again against somebody who, in Josh Boshe, who we know is an aggressive campaigner and who we know can raise a lot of money? Oh, your answer to those two questions. Yeah, uh, you know, first of all, we're going to need to raise money, and we're going to need to uh, go around the state and really campaign like we haven't before because we do have uh, a Democrat who's has a history of raising some money, and. So we're going to have a different race than, than has been faced in many, many years. And so we can't just rely on a name. The last time we relied on a name, uh, and I'm talking in terms of uh, on the Republican perspective here, was when we had the governor's race in the primary. And you can see that name recognition and it did not save the day. Now, there were, to be, to be fully honest, you know, there was a lot of money being dumped in by the Bergen campaign against Stengem. But... But name recognition does not win the day. And so if Josh can raise a lot of money, uh, there is certainly going to be that problem. So you need someone who's going to be smarter. Right now, Rob, do you know this? If you go to aljager.com, there's no website. Okay, Josh Boucher is talking about technology, and I'm running against an opponent in the, who's trying to get the Republican nomination who doesn't have a website. So what does that say to voters uh, right now that we don't have, we have a candidate who is – is not tech savvy, but claims to be um, a, a website, the Secretary of State website that is not um, mobile friendly, and so it's going to be very hard to defend. So either we, as a as a Republican Party, we can spend a lot of money excusing why we had millions of dollars wasted in IT projects, why our websites aren't up to date, even with the new project rollouts, these will still not the, the website will still be uh, not fit for mobile browsing. So we can either spend a lot of money trying to defend why we have not got our act together, or we can invest money into someone who's done this before for the last 20 years for businesses. And, right. and I well, think me, Republicans are, are pretty excited about having an opportunity to change there. Two quick follow-ups. We're almost out of time. Uh, are you saying the, the Secretary Jagger does not have a campaign website at all, or just that it's not mobile-friendly? Uh, his, his campaign website is, uh, I think it's like a network solutions ad. Okay, so I've there's no website. He website has no website. He has a, a domain. He doesn't have a website. But the Secretary of State's website is a is not mobile friendly. It's not mobile friendly. Okay. And then second right. of all, will you run to the June primary if you don't win at the convention? Yeah, I will I will honor the wishes of the of the Republican uh convention. I just really believe that if you're spending a lot of time and investing a lot of money uh into uh listening to the candidates that, that you should have a voice. And um and I, I think that if we don't have this process, what happens, people talk about smoke-filled rooms. Look, you're going to have 1,500 people there. The smoke-filled rooms are when, when people uh, spend a lot of money on one candidate. They, they pick their favorite candidate, and they, they sit in a room and say, we're going to spend a lot of money, and we're going to put ads on TV, and we're going to invest a lot in, in this person. And nobody gets to decide. It's just that one person who has a lot of money. So I put a lot of value in the convention because at the convention, many people sure. get to decide instead of just one person who's who's got a lot of money to support a single person. Will, thanks for your time. Thanks, Rob. It's Will Gardner, candidate for Secretary of State. I'm Rob Port, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Something you see for a little-
Welcome back. Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000 888-970-9329 nine, Email talk at WDY.com Tweet me at Rob Port. Natil, lots of, uh, we're dealing with lots of isms today. You know what's that? Sexism, well, there, there was There was sexism, I heard. Ageism. Okay. Yeah. Now what else we got? Okay, well, I guess just the two. Okay. <laughs> okay, I thought you were going to bring up a third. I don't think anybody's, I don't think we talked about anybody getting accused. Of, I mean, I get accused of racism, too, all the time. Um, well, we didn't bring that one up yet today. It had to come up today, I, other than just now, I guess. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean to me, and, and again, I, I guess I am reacting to uh, Jack Zaleski's column where, you know, he, he talks about uh, Mr. Gardner, who was our guest in the last segment, being a uh, stupid, insulting stunt. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I'm guilty of one of the people who have has pointed out that Secretary Jagger's been in office for a long, long time. I don't think that's ageism, Natil. No, it's not. It's not saying that ageism would be saying that Secretary of State Al Jager cannot continue to do his job because he is too old to do it. That's ageism. Similarly, saying that Will Gardner is too young to do the job. Well, that's that's kind of my point. Like Zaleski says that in the column. That's also ageism. Like he points out. Yeah, this is his this is his last line. He goes, Gardner, a callow 41 year old. A callow, so so if we're we're not making an issue out of age, why are you bringing up Gardner's age? Right. And by the way, you know what what the definition of callow is? Ooh, not specifically. Give it to me, because that's a good $10 word. Inexperienced, immature, especially of a young person. Yeah, there you go. It is exactly ageism. I mean, he's he's 41, first of all. Right? I mean, all all due respect to Will... That's not that young. It's not like I'm running for Secretary of State at 28. Yeah, that's middle-aged. So, uh, you know, 41, not that, I say that, um, not that young. I'm 37, so. I'm, also not I'm that cl- young? Closing, a, uh, yeah, I suppose. I still feel young at heart. Um, I, I don't, I mean, why, I mean, if we're going to get upset about ageism, why are you bringing up Will Gardner's age? Like, oh, oh, that's ageism to bring this up. It's it's ageism. You know, don't talk about how old Al Jagger is. Uh, but we're going to call him callow, in, which means immature, inexperienced. Say he's 41. You know, I mean, he's got 20 years of experience. I mean, Will, and, and I, I've known Will for a long time, and I've seen him build a lot of websites. Once upon a time, Will built, um, he had, it was, it was, this is how long, this is how old the blog is, Natil. We were building a, he built a pop-up <laughs> notification system that he beta tested with, with my blog, sayanythingblog.com. Oh, pop-ups are um, no longer a thing. When it wasn't, wasn't those sort of pop, it was basically like a little note of, it sat down in, on your, on your laptop. It sat down. This was before smartphones. <laughs> it sat down in your, your, like your, the tray. Yeah. Uh, and whenever I wrote a new post, you'd get a little pop-up that there was a new post. That was it. And he was going to try to market it. I don't know that it ever went anywhere. Um, it's called super alerts. Will was a part of that. Um, but then we moved on and now we get alerts for all sorts of things on our cell phones. So kind of forward thinking, but he's been doing that stuff for a long time, but I don't know. I mean, Republicans are going to make a choice, uh, on Gardner versus Jagger, but I, I thought Zaleski's uh, column was unfortunate. You know, we can have a good debate about that, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure you can accuse somebody of being, you know, immature 
and inexperienced at 41 years old, and they turn around and accuse them of ageism. Seems a little hypocritical to me. Rundown, coming up next here on The Rob Report. Don't go away. The Rob Report. The Rob Report. On 970 WDAY. The Rundown. What do we got, Atil? Oh, lots of stuff in the news, but let's start here. Dentist threatens to report parents for neglect unless they bring in their kids and their wallets. Wait, okay, so the dentist is going to report the parents? I guess so. Wow, that's a power move. A dental practice in Pennsylvania has a novel method for guaranteeing return business. They threaten to turn parents in for neglect if they stop bringing in their kids. Smiles for Keeps, which has three offices across the state, insists that the threats are being misinterpreted. (laughs) But the letter they sent out is pretty clear. Uh, They say that according to law, failure to bring your child in for dental care is considered neglect. And that Pennsylvania Act 31 states that healthcare providers, including dentists, must report your failure to bring your child in for evaluation and care. They include a copy of Act 31. That's, I have a feeling that the text of the law is probably less stringent than they're making it out to be. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. It's insanity. Can you can you imagine getting that letter from? No. Uh, how first of all. Scary. Well, first of all, if your goal is uh, going to the dentist is already scary for a lot of people, right? People just don't like doing it. What's going to make people even less likely to want to go to the dentist is having like a super judgy dentist. Yeah. Right. Like, don't don't do that. It's it's hard for people to go already. For some people, anyway, it's hard to go. If you get if you, if you feel like they're going to judge you, then you're you're going to make it less likely that people are going to want to come, which is counterproductive. You would think to the dentist's goal, which is good dental health. Yeah, like I can't. You should want people to want to come to the dentist. I can't imagine. It just it freaks me out. Like, because I always feel I always feel like the d- dentist is making you feel just a little bit badly. When you go in, like, oh, it looks like you haven't been flossing 80 times a day. Sorry, I didn't. Is it flossing? Wait a minute. Haven't we decided that flossing's not a thing? I don't don't know. Do you know how long it's been since I've been to a dentist? Uh Years. You're going to jail. I'm not a child, and I don't have children, so nobody can send me to jail over my dental dental hygiene. Ha! Well, how, I mean, how, how do they know that you're not just decided to decide? I mean, it sounds like this might be the sort of dentist a lot of people would decide to take their kids elsewhere, right? So oh, how, yeah, how do absolutely. the dentists not know, like, like I just don't want to go to this jerk anymore? And, then, and that's a good question. But I guess, you know, it's you instill the fear of neglect charges on a parent, and they're going to do everything they can to avoid that. Because I think that, you know what, people like even less than the dentist Child Protective Child Services. Child Protective Services, yeah. Well, that's a nightmare, too. I mean, when you get them involved, oh, even, yeah. even if you're a good parent, even if you're a good parent, you know, uh, you know, that's that could be scary. I mean, it's it's potentially, wow, what a thing. I would not, I would never, <laughs> I would never go to that dentist. Absolutely I mean, what a, not. What a thing to do. I, I mean, hope even they if go I out of business. Even if I was satisfied with every other aspect of their service, I would not. You send me a letter like that, I'm switching dentists. <laughs> Absolutely. Just... Wow. All right, what's next? Malaysia outlaws fake news and sets up 
and sets a jail sentence for up to six years. For fake news. For fake you news. You can go to jail for six six years. Yep. How are they defined? Who gets to define what is and is not fake news? Well, apparently the anti-fake news 2018 bill does that. They set up fines of up to 123000 U.S. dollars and a maximum jail sentence of six years. The original draft of the bill proposed jail of up to 10 years. Government says the law would not be impinging on freedom of speech and cases under it would be handled through an independent court process, but is aiming to protect the public from the spread of fake news. It def- the new law specifically defines fake news as news, information, data, and reports, which is or are wholly or partly false. Oof. Uh, boy. I mean, listen, I, I, don't, I don't like the idea. I don't like the idea of people propagating bad information any more than anyone else um that being said i think the last people i want protecting me from bad information is the government especially like the government Um, of malaysia i remember not why i want to say it was in minnesota but there was a i think it was a proposed proposed legislation and i think it was in minnesota and it would have made lying in political advertising illegal right Oh, which is which is which is I mean, that, that's fine. I mean, you're basically I mean, it's kind of the same. We're not using the fake. And this was this was years before Trump and the fake news things. So um, I, I mean, it sounds fine on its face, but the problem is who gets to be the arbiter of who is and is not lying? I mean, do I get to be the decider? Do you, Nutil? Is it a panel of political appointees? I mean, who who gets to decide? I I. Well, I think in we this, run into in this case, it's a "quote unquote" independent court system. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just don't. I, I I think we're better off, as imperfect as it is. I think we're better off, you know, charging people with the responsibility for deciding for themselves what they're going to believe and what they're not going to believe. And I realize that's imperfect, and I realize it's perhaps more imperfect today than any other time in history when we have so many ways to ignore each other. You know. We have so many ways to just sort of pursue information or reporting or infotainment or whatever you want to call it that lines up with what we all already want to hear, right? We could do that already. So we could already sort of filter out the things that might challenge our worldview, challenge what we believe. I realize that's hard. I'd still prefer that to putting some sort of government agency in charge of, you know, the Department of Fake News or whatever. I, I think that's a recipe for censorship. I, I don't want to go down that road. I'm on board. I mean, look, look at how many people, look at how many people uh, accuse me of fake news, right? Because, and, and not necessarily because I got any facts wrong. They just don't like my conclusions. They just don't like my point of view. Look at how many people accuse somebody on the left, like like a Mike McFeely, of fake news, right? It's not fake news just because you disagree. But I, I think I think people have a problem telling the difference, and I, I think I think trying to get some sort of government panel involved to adjudicate what's right and what's wrong is uh, is a recipe for, for disaster. I don't want to go there. No, thanks. I'd, I'd, I would prefer fake news to that. <laughs> I don't think that I want fake news, but I also don't want... I don't want, want fake news, but I think, I think that solution's worse than the problem. All right, all right. Ready for the next one? Sure. CNN has been mocked for glorifying JFK's legendary infidelity after harping on sex allegations against Trump. 
Did they use the term legendary? Uh, they in- <laughs> So while promoting a program called the Kennedys, CNN hailed the 35th president's legendary love life, which was their direct quote. And then asked, did one of his affairs connect him with the mob? All right. Which I, I, comes as a very hypocritical, uh, uh, what's the, opposition to how they've handled Donald Trump and his supposed infidelities, alleged infidelities. So I guess the argument is that, that CNN's been, obviously they've been all over the Stormy Daniels thing and, and the others with, with Donald Trump. But now all of a sudden it's JFK and they're like, oh, it was, they're, they're almost like romanticizing it. Is that the charge? Essentially, yeah. And, and they're being hypocritical in the way that they're dealing with the difference between John F. Kennedy and Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I think in politics we have a tendency, like we blow things up in the moment, right? Like in the moment, it's a really big deal and it's, it's everything's because that's how, that's how politics is. Like everything's the end of the world. Everything is literally the end of the world. That's it's always it's a big every, deal. Every, every day, there's some new outrage. There's some new thing, and so, in context, you know, I, I guess I do like with the Kennedy thing, calling it legendary. That just seems kind of gross. Like that wasn't such a good thing that he did. You know, I, no. and we can all have different opinions about about marriage and fidelity and how relevant that is to someone's performance of their public duties. I mean, we can have that debate, but I just. I don't know. I mean, even if you don't care, calling it legendary just seems a little gross. Why would you do that? I don't know. Speaking of which, are you going to see that Chappaquiddick movie that's coming out? I think I would like to see it, actually. I think it looks fun. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Uh, Maybe we did. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, I had to remember I think, if it was our program or if it was the morning show. Yeah, it was. It was this program. I think. I think that looks. I think it looks good and. Yeah, because I think my point of view was, is why it took them so long to cover it. And I think my attitude was it was sort of because it was the Kennedys and because, you know, JFK and RFK were both assassinated. And so the Kennedy family, I think, kind of got a pass on yeah. a lot of stuff that other political families probably wouldn't get a pass on. I think I think you're right, especially because it th- we're a little sensitive about the Kennedys still because of the, the tragedy of the assassinations. Yeah. Just as a nation. It's hard to speak ill of the dead sometimes, but I don't know. I, it's an important story worth telling, and it's part of what you accept when you enter the public limelight is that you're going to get that sort of scrutiny. So anyway, that looks like a good movie. What's next? America's never been great. A student records a teacher's anti-Trump rant. Ugh. You would think is, I mean, I think sometimes we have a false perception of this. I think we get these these stories. I mean, there's a lot of teachers in this country, and so we get these stories that are just outrageous and then we try to extrapolate from them that there's some pre- big, bigger, larger problem in the teaching industry that I largely don't think exists. The one thing I don't like, I mean, when teachers act over the time, I'm assuming this is accurate. I'm assuming there's probably video or something. The problem is with teachers and professors overreact like this and they get just over the top. I think the knee jerk reaction is that we shouldn't discuss politics at all in the classroom. And I, to me, that's really unfortunate because I think politics should be discussed in the classroom and kids shouldn't be afraid to disagree with their teacher and their teacher should accommodate student point of views that, that disagree with them. And it should be 
it could be a learning experience. Like this is how we can have a discourse as a group of people who have a lot of different points of view on a particular issue or a particular candidate. And this is how we can all discuss it logically and then move on with our lives and still be friends and still have a professional relationship and everything's fine. Um, my, my daughter actually has a, a teacher in, in school who is a, a big fan of the blog, uh, who does not agree with me on very much at all. And uh, she brings in my stuff all the time for classroom assignments. She does. She critiqued my writing once <laughs> for the class, um, which, by the way, the teacher agreed with me rather than her. Oh, well, she good. Thought, teacher thought <laughs> Harley was being too critical of me. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's really great, though. I mean, the teacher obviously disagrees with, with my politics and, and Harley kind of agrees with me or whatever. But I think it's great. I, I, I'm glad that she could bring it into the classroom and it could just be part of it without people losing their minds about this stuff. Yeah, and I, I agree with you there. And I, I think that it's good to, especially in um, a lot of the smaller schools here in North Dakota, we don't have, like, debate teams. So we don't really have kids learning how to have these types of debates with one another in a healthy way. So allowing teachers to be able to help them figure figure that out, I think is very, very important. But then the teachers have to be responsible about it and know how to do it themselves. And I'm afraid that we're reaching a point now where nobody in this nation knows how to have a polite debate about anything. Yeah. Well, and some of the stuff these teachers, I mean, some of the stuff, the stories we get is the teacher will assign kids to, like, attend. Like, I actually, I remember there was one, I remember the, here in North Dakota, there was a classroom of kids that were basically ordered to write a letter uh, write a letter to their congressman taking a specific point of view on an issue. In fact, my daughter got the assignment I oh, this a few years ago. Yeah, and it was like basically you need to write a letter to the editor. I forget what the issue was, but basically gave them the position to give. Well, that's not an assignment. That's not a learning experience. Like if you just tell them what to write, that's that's just dumb. We want to we want to teach thinkers. We don't want to indoctrinate. Uh, All right, let's wrap it up. You're listening to AM 970 WDAY 93.1 FM. This is the Rob Report. And that's the Rundown. You know any good uh, April Fool's Day gags in the teal? I don't really go for the whole pranking thing. I hate it. It's not my shtick. No. I think it's dumb too, like all the companies that do it now. Oh, like see, I like fake. I like the company ones a lot of because a lot of the time because they're pretty harmless. I mean, like ThinkGeek put out like some fake product mock-ups for some fake products that I thought were kind of funny. Yeah. I, I think I think that more's just kind of gotten old now. Like it was unique. Back with Google and, and some of the others who were first doing it. Um I thought it was funnier then. Now it just I don't know. It just seems kind of like you expect it now. Yeah, I, I guess know. it's kind of like Super Bowl ads. I guess it doesn't it doesn't bother me, but I it I don't like it when, especially when people will pull pranks on each other that end up being potentially hurtful or mean. Yeah, did you see? I saw there was some big, and I I I try to avoid like the entertainment media, like the celebrity gossip stuff. But I guess there was like some reality show couple that ticked a bunch of people off because their April Fool's joke was that they were pregnant. No, I have like they no posted idea. on social media that they were a prank. It was one of the bachelor. I hate a hard time even calling these people celebrities. There was somebody who was on like The Bachelor or something. Yeah, they're not. I, they're I not no celebrities. Idea. If anything, they're like D-list celebrities. 
Well, apparently we're doing headlines now because a bunch of people were mad at them because they pretended to be the couple depended pretended to be pregnant oh. with their April Fool's joke. They probably shouldn't do that. I don't. It doesn't bother I don't, me. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I, I guess care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't. I'm wondering about the people who like can muster the capacity to care about this. Like why? 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 I've I've said it again. I'll say it again. The teal. Uh, I've said it before. We are a society that has run out of problems. We've run out of real problems, and now it's this obsession with like F-list celebrities and their pregnancy gags. More to come straight ahead. Jay Thomas show. Stay tuned for that. This is the Rob Report. Twelve to two p.m. Monday through Friday. Seven twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. And say anything. Blog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Particular place to go.